All right. I don't know if anybody listens to this, but you, you guys got to help me out because half the time I won't turn it on. But I'm not the only one. Jeff doesn't turn it on half the time. I don't know about Steve how he does, but it should be recorded, and you should be go back, to be able to go back and look at or listen to the to, to the messages. So last week we saw how the New Testament churches were started, and the first one was started where at. At Jerusalem, okay, and then it went to other cities, okay, and 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 first it's like now Saul or went to a certain city, Damascus, to do what? Persecute. To persecute. He went to to the church at Damascus to to, to persecute them. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that church in Damascus get started? How did the how did Ananias get there? Well, they, he was probably in Jerusalem. He probably saw what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ and heard about that he had risen from the dead. And when he went home, people got meeting together and their church started. In fact, that leads me up to what, what is a church biblically? It's a two words, a calling out. And what was the other part? Now, these two people, they, they haven't been here, so they have an excuse. But I should expect everybody else to be popping up. A coming together. Okay, so what is a church? It's a calling out of the world and a coming together. Okay, so you have people go, well, there, there are local churches and there's the general church. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. There is a local assembly of people that are Christians that are called out of the world that meet locally. Now, there are Christians all over the world and there are local churches all over the world. And yes, we all belong to Christ, but as far as a church in the Bible and as far as a church today, there's one church. It's the local independent church. There is a group of believers that meet all over the world. That's why we match with them if they're following the Bible. But as far as, oh, there's a general church. Is the general church meeting together in a local body of assemblies? No. That's so a lot of the problem because they had other entities that were, were ruling over the churches. Yeah. And the church should have its own, you know, take care of everything itself. It should. Okay, and you're jumping ahead. Okay, so that's what a church was. It's a called out group. That comes together. I know it's kind of different. Okay. And then we saw that uh, churches were started because in other places because believers were fleeing persecution in Jerusalem. And wherever they went, they preached the gospel. People got saved. People started to meet together to, to learn more. Okay. So that is what a church is. So we saw that happening. Uh, that happened as far as... Uh, um, Phoenix, the Bible said, Cyprus, Syria, Joppa, Lydda, Saron, Caesarea, and Antioch. So they went everywhere. Okay, And now Gentiles started to get saved. And then the church at Antioch was made up of basically Gentiles, and they began to send churches out. And then we also saw that the apostles went to other cities after Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and other countries and other churches were started. So that's how they were started. So we saw that 
And I'm just recapping a little bit. And then we talked about the early church fathers. We have a guy named Polycarp last week we talked about. He was the first pastor at Smyrna in AD 81. And he had received his training from John the Apostle. So, I mean, that's word of mouth from, from an apostle to this guy. It was like his disciple. He starts a church in Smyrna, but he is, unfortunately dies at the stake at 166 A.D., so right off the bat, people are, began to be persecuted and killed because of their beliefs, okay? So, and we saw the next guy's name was Ignatius. He was a pastor at Antioch, and he was killed in the arena in Rome in 115 AD. So, again, here's a guy that became a pastor at the Church of Antioch. He was killed for his faith at Rome. 115 AD. And then we talked about a guy named Irenaeus. He was a pastor of the church in Lyons, France. And he was killed for his faith in 200 AD. Okay? And so we're just kind of going through the time frame here. And we're seeing different people that are believing the Bible that was that started the churches from where the churches we talked about were started and just started spreading out from there. And then there was a guy named Montanus. Around 200 A.D., he uh, led a church in Carthage, Africa. And this group spread all across northern Africa, and so Christianity was pretty well spread. Even today in northern Africa, I can't say that. The Christians in Africa are basically on the northern side. Central Africa, um, not so much so. But there was a time when a lot of these people... I don't know what color they were, but there was a lot of Christians in 200 AD in northern Africa as a result of the church spreading. Okay, And then there's a guy we talked about, his name was Agrippinus. Um, he was also in Carthage a little bit later, and he had left the Catholic Church, which we already see the Catholic Church in around 200 AD. And he left them, and he, he hung out with the Montanist. And that was first where they were called Anabaptist with this guy. And Anabaptist basically just means rebaptist, rebaptizers. So this group would rebaptize anyone from outside of their group that hadn't accepted Christ as their Savior and then was baptized because the Catholic Church, even at that time, was doing baptism regeneration, which was you get baptized for salvation. So one reason there's been such a heated dispute between the two groups and more so on the Catholic side is because the Baptists were saying, well, we're following the Bible and you guys are outside of the Bible. And they don't like that. Mm -hmm. And if you can't join the group and you can't beat the group, what do you do? You rewrite the Bible. You kill them. <laughs> okay. And that's what the Catholics have done from day one. They couldn't refute him. They're kind of like Stephen. He couldn't refute Stephen, but still what happened to him? He got killed. And so the same pattern just keeps going. Uh, and, and it's like, I don't care what somebody believes. It's a free country here. I mean, go believe whatever you want, but I'm not going to kill you for it. you know. But yet, that has been going on through the centuries. So... We, we saw another guy by the name of Novation around 250 A.D. He leaves the Catholic Church in Rome because of their corrupt, corrupt doctrine. He becomes a pastor of the church at Rome. 
Now, when Paul went to Rome on his third mission or fourth missionary trip, I don't know. Can you call that a missionary trip when he went to Rome? He's on the way. He's on the way to see Nero. Was that a missionary trip? I think it was because everything Paul did was a missionary trip. You know, he he's under duress when he went. But when he went to Rome, there was already a church in Rome then. And so, uh, here, here's this guy, Novation, that, that leaves the Catholic Church in Rome because of their corrupt doctrine. He became a church around 250 AD. And at that point, there was two main churches in Rome, Italy. That the Catholic Church, which is called the Universal Church, and then there, the other church was called the Church of the Paterines. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Or it was also called Church of the Martyrs. And it was also called the Church of the Novations. And the Novations were known for their strict use of scriptures. And we can find the record of these Novations all throughout Italy. And in the mid-300s, they were predominant. Okay? So the Novations had no fellowships with the Catholic Church, and they rebaptized all who came from them. And they regarded the Catholic Church as having abandoned the Bible and its teachings and was hence a false church. And we can find the Novations and the Montanas in history all the way up into the the, the 700s. Okay, so that's where we were. We talked about some uh, the first heresy in the church wrecks. You were right of these churches was larger churches began to lord over the smaller churches and tried to combine them all in. So, uh, how do you think that would work if some if uh, some big mega church calls up Brian and goes, uh, "How about we'd like you to join our organization and we got a lot of good benefits for you. We got a really good health plan, good dental plan, fix you guys up. We'll fix all the pastors up, the deacons, you know, and and uh, basically sell your soul and come over and join us. I don't think it would go real well. Okay, but that's what was going on. So, and. You know, there's a lot of small churches all over the country. And I grew up, Carrie and I grew up Southern Baptist, so don't, don't, don't dislike me because of that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, there are Southern Baptist churches that are meeting all over Missouri that uh, have 10 people in them, 5 people. And that's fine, but then two blocks down the road is another Baptist church with their 5 or 10. And I never could figure out why a few of these just don't meet together instead of doing all the, th- the stuff they're doing. Uh, but there's something to a local independent Baptist church. But when the big churches wanted it lord over the small churches, that's not good. And so what they started to do was they started to fine these smaller churches if they didn't join them. And I don't know how they, they had to have the government involved in it. Uh, they started to jail their pastors, and they started confiscation of property. They'd take their property. That happened with larger churches lording over the smaller churches. Okay, So that's why Baptist heritage all the way back has always claimed that every church is independently run and independent of anybody else. Nobody lords over anybody. But that was a problem. Okay, And then the second problem was baptismal regeneration. Remember what that was? You have to be baptized to be saved. Okay? 
And so we saw that trying to creep in. And, 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 the, and again, I'm picking on the Catholic Church because the, there were two churches. There were Bible-believing churches and a, basically a Catholic or a general church. Well, the general church started putting heresies in their doctrine right off the bat. Okay? And so, uh, baptismal regeneration, you have to be, if you are to be saved, it has to be through baptism. And yet we know that they still teach that today. At first it was just children. So, and then they expanded it to babies. Okay? And then, when you start putting false things in, or you start putting lies out, the next thing you know, you got to put another lie out to help cover the first lie. And so because of baptismal regeneration, baptismal... Uh, let me get this worked out again. Baptismal regeneration, it started out with children and then it went down to babies. Then they're like, well, what about... What about people that just don't get baptized first, so we got to come up with something to make sure they're saved. And so the, the, the term purgatory was invented. So now there's a purgatory for anybody who died before they got baptized. And so now they can go to purgatory, and now we'll invent some more things to go on top of that. So that was made up. So we talked about that last week, and then we stopped. Okay, so we're seeing that, and I wanted to continue on with uh, from about 300 A.D. up until about 1500 A.D. today. And so we're going to try to get there, but before we got there, the Lord just said, you've got to stop and back up a little bit. And so this is one of those instances where this has happened. It didn't happen a whole lot. So we need to go back and look, what is the root problem in the church? What was the basic root problem? problem that they started having in the churches and to find that out we got to go in our bible back to acts chapter 15 so we're going to go back and look at the root of the problem and we're going to use scripture to do it i was also having a problem like how do i teach a lesson and not open up the bible because I'm, I'm on history but but where are we at in acts chapter 15 we're going to see the root of all these heresies and all these problems that come in in the churches by just going back to Scripture and looking at it. So, Acts chapter 15, we're talking about the church of Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are there, and this is what's going to happen. So, let's just read through it a little bit, and I'll probably stop and, and add, add lib a little bit. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be... What's it say? Saved. Saved. Wait a minute. Here's a church, a local independent church in Antioch. We have some people from the, from the church at Jerusalem come down and tell them, Hey guys, unless you're circumcised, you can't get saved. Now, I have a problem with that, as did Paul and Barnabas. Because Paul and Barnabas, verse 2 says, And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had, when, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words, An argument. the crud hit the fan. Now, let's put it that way. Okay? 
they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this question. Well, right off the bat, they come down and say, unless the guys are, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And I've, I've already, and I bet Paul and Barnabas, the bells and whistles are going off on their head. And the first thing I'm thinking they're thinking in their mind is, well, you got a whole church people, a group of people here that are not circumcised, and guess what? They're saved. Mm-hmm. So they're a little late getting to the party here. But yet, there's a problem going up, and, and we're going to see the number one church heresy right here in this passage. You have to do something to get saved. You have to be circumcised. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading through this this morning, and it's like, that wasn't exactly where these guys were going. They just put one little piece out there. You just got you just got to be circumcised. But yet, where were they going with it? They were going with you got to do the law, because that's coming. We'll see that in a little bit. You're going to have to follow the Old Testament law, or you can't be saved. And that no wonder Paul and Barnabas is having a fit here. And so they get ready to go back. To Jerusalem, so let's let's keep reading. Verse three says, "And being brought on their way by the what's the next word? Church. church. So the church is funding them to go back to Jerusalem to the main church to try to hash this out. Okay, they pass through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great what's the next word? Joy, and all the brethren didn't stop anything, did it? Okay, verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, and they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And then the next word, I mean, I'm I'm having a bad habit today asking you what's the next word. But, verse 5, there's a, you got to watch out, and I've told you this before, you got to watch out for those buts in the Bible. Okay? And these guys were kind of being that way. But there rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees. Oh, why am I not surprised? (laughs) Which believed. So wait a minute. These Pharisees had received Christ. But yet, it's kind of like when you get out of the fire, you're still smelling like smoke. So you got some Pharisees. Now let me stop here for a minute. You got some Pharisees. In the church which had accepted Christ, but they still have some what? Bad doctrine. Mm-hmm. So is it possible, my wife and I talked this, about this today, is it possible for a Christian to be in a church that's teaching false doctrine, or is it possible for a Christian to have some bad Bible doctrine that they believe? Mm-hmm. It's possible. Okay? It's possible. You know, uh, well, when a person accepts Christ, you don't really have the doctrine. You don't know what all the doctrine is. You learn that, right? Uh, or maybe, but but let's say, let's just say the reason our church rebaptizes and the pe- churches down through history have rebaptized people is because people coming into that church from somewhere else, they've got some bad doctrine in their mind, and so the first thing is. The Bible says after salvation, you, you are baptized as a, as a showing, as act of obedience and, and showing everybody else that you believe this. And so 
That way it roots out people saying, oh, yeah, I joined uh, Heartland Baptist Fellowship and, you know, I was sprinkled as a kid, so it's okay to sprinkle here too. No, that's not going to happen, okay? We're not going to follow that way. My point is we, uh, the Protestants were the same way. When they left the Catholic Church, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, they had some things right because they got out of the Catholic Church, but yet they still brought some bad stuff with them. So you can get out of the fire, but you're still going to smell like smoke. And these Pharisees had that ingrained in their head, and now they're putting, you got to do something to get saved, and we're going to find out if that's true or not. Verse 5 says, But there rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, it says they believed, so the, I know they have to be saved, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them, here it comes, to keep the law of Moses. So there it was. There it pops back out. You, for these Christians to be saved, you've got to follow the Old Testament law. That's what they're saying. Okay, so verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider the, this matter. Verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, I imagine there was. Yeah. I bet Barnabas and Paul's just jumping on, you know. I would have been. I mean, you think Brian would have been, well, this is what happened. These guys came down and told us. No, I mean, they, I bet they're all over the place, you know. And he says, uh, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and he said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Okay, so hang with me. Peter has it figured out. The rest of them don't yet. Verse 10 says, Now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Verse 12, And then when all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken to me. And so now that the leader of the church is James... And this is the James who's the half-brother of Jesus. He's the leader of the church here because the other James, the apostle, has been killed and martyred already. And he gets up and he says, and what I like about what he says is he uses Scripture. Okay? We're having a problem here. You're saying this. They're saying that. Let's go to the Bible and see what it says. Okay? And he says... Uh, um, let me see, where am I at? He says, hearken unto me, verse 13, 14. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take them out of them a people for its name. Now that particular Simeon he's talking about, anybody know who that is? That's the Simeon that was back in the temple when Jesus was dedicated that talked about that by, Jesus, by, this, man, by this baby, Jesus. Mm -hmm the Gentiles would be saved. Go back and read that. It's in Luke chapter 232. 
And at the first did visit the Gentiles, again, it's over the Gentiles, to take them out of the people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets... So now he's going to the Old Testament writing of the prophets. He doesn't just say one. He doesn't say Micah. He doesn't say Obadiah. He doesn't say any of the minor prophets or Isaiah or the major. He just says the prophets. In fact, you look at all of them. They talk about the Gentiles will be saved. Again, this is hard for the Jewish people to understand. And to agree the words of the prophets that it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is this. So here's what James says, verse 19. That we trouble them not, or trouble not them, which are from the among the Gentiles are turned to God. Okay? And then he says, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled with blood. Has that got anything to do with salvation? Has nothing to do with salvation, but it does do with their testimony. Mm-hmm. He says, guys, he's basically saying, guys, they're saved just like we are. But here's what I do recommend for this church and for the Gentiles is that they abstain from pollutions of idols. It's going to help their testimony. And from, the, and from fornication, it will help their testimony. And from things strangled from blood, it will help their testimony among other people. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read of the synagogues every Sabbath day, and then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Bar- Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So they're going to send a group, a delegation, back to the church of Antioch to, tell, to do what? And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren sent greetings unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. The group that went down and told them this, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So the church didn't send these people down there. They went on their own accord. And it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So he's basically saying, and then he goes through these four things to abstain from, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall get saved. No, it doesn't say that. It says you shall do well. 
Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, and when they read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words, confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they, they let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. So basically, what's taking place? And I've kind of butchered this up going through it. I haven't spent the time I need to. James stood up and says, you know what? We can't burden these Gentiles with keeping the law. We can't keep it ourselves. It wasn't needed for salvation. So, end of discussion. But there's a few things that would be good for them to do, which was abstain from idols, things strangled with blood, fornication, because that's going to hurt their testimony with other people, which is not a big deal. But my point in all this was the very first thing they were trying to put on the church was that they had to do something to get saved. And that is not the case. Right here in Scripture, it's it's put down. So when you have somebody tell you that you have to be baptized to be saved, that's, that's not it. It's by faith. Okay, now, if you're in Acts 15, look at verse 9. Let's look at what Peter said. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Okay, it was by faith. Now go down to 19. It says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which were among the Gentiles which are turned to God. Again, there's nothing else that we can add to their to anything of their getting saved. There's some things we can recommend, but nothing for salvation. Okay? And then, let's see, my last verse I'm looking at. 24 says, For as much as we have heard that certain which... Nope. Is that 1524? Uh, let's keep going. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled your, you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the very first heresy that we see is this, uh, that you have to do something to get saved, is... is is taken care of here in Acts chapter 15. The second thing, the second big heresy that the church fights is that you have to do something to keep your salvation. Out of those two heresies, everything else comes. Everything. On the way down here today, we're driving down the road. Catholic Church is getting out not too far from, and they were pouring out of there on our way. And, And of course, I... They'd been to Mass, and I'm like, and why are they going to Mass every week? They are doing something to keep their salvation. They already got their salvation by baptism, but they're doing something to keep it. And yet the Bible says, you don't, it's all by faith. You didn't do anything other than accept Christ as your Savior. And you don't do anything to keep it because Christ keeps it for us, right? Discipleship one. Out of those two things, everything else comes from. And so we see that. So now I'm ready to start my lesson today. (laughs) I'm I'm worse than Brian, I'm telling you. (laughs) We will not have a class next week. You are right. So, number one. 
we, that kind of lays out why things start happening in, in this church. So let me go through um, what I wanted to say today. And most of it I'll read so it won't be any problem. Because I want to get us up to the point. I really want to focus on this on, in our Baptist heritage is when our forefathers came over to the United States and what was going on with the Baptist at that time. Because it was the Baptist that gave us our religious freedom. If the Baptist hadn't fought for religious freedom, the First Amendment to our Constitution would not be there. Yes. George Washington fought with a bunch of Baptists, and he was not a Baptist. And he goes, how can we get religious freedom for our country? Or not religious. How can we get freedom... How can we fight for and get freedom from, for our country when the men that fought with me are not going to get religious freedom for what they fought for? And so he was very adamant, we have got to get religious freedom in our country. And it's basically because of the Baptists and their heritage all down through history. Because what they saw was, and I'm jumping ahead of it, was the separation of church and state. The state should not be able to tell the church what to do. The church doesn't tell the government what to do, but that's not really the case. It has always been and has always been that the government has no rights to tell the local independent church what they should do. Period. They can try, but they can't because they saw what happened down through history and, and how the, the government would, would go in coercion with basically the Catholic Church and, and not, just, not just oppose Bible-believing Baptists, They'd hunt them down and kill them. And it's been that way. So, Okay, so uh, around 380, I'm going to try to get through this real quick. The, Donald, the Donatists took over from the Montanists in northern Africa. And they ran from about 300 to 780. So we can kind of trace a heritage going back. And so I'm, I'm starting at the beginning going this way. Most of these Bible-believing groups were not called Baptists. They were called by the name of their pastor or their leader. So that's why different groups are called different things. So, um, and again, they were basically called after the, the leader or they were called Anabaptist. And, and you read that and I'm thinking, Anabaptist, it's like you're against baptism. No, what Anna means is re. So they would re-baptize somebody from a specifically different church that came over if they had been sprinkled or baptized as a baby because that's not biblical. Okay? And so they were called that, Anabaptist. And eventually it got to the point they just dropped the re off of it. But, so the Donatists were a group in northern Africa. Same Bible-believing traits that we believe of. They believe those same traits. The Waldenses. Anybody heard of the Waldenses? They were a group of people in, basically in Europe uh, from about 400 all the way up until probably 1500. And, and again, Bible Christianity that spread throughout Europe. They, they were in Italy, France, Spain, Germany, Poland, North Africa. Uh, they would kind of group us all together. Um, but the Word of God was spreading. It spread through Africa. It's th- it spread through Europe. Churches were started. And there was a group called, um, I want to say the Paulicans. Was that right, Carrie? Paulicians? They were, they were named after Paul because there was a group in... Ar- now get this. Anybody know where Armenia is on the map? 
Armenia is a section that basically today would be Eastern Turkey. Uh, you have the, the, uh, the Noah's Ark. They think it's in the Armenian mountains. That's where they think it landed. That's Eastern Turkey. And so here's this guy that got a hold of a Bible. He got a hold of a Bible, and as a result of it, started preaching what the Bible said and teaching it, and it just spread. They were called the the Paulicians, or the Paulicans is what I'm going to call them, and basically because they held to the writings of Paul in the New Testament. Well, that's to a New Testament church, so um, makes sense. And they lasted all the way up into about 1000 AD. And you'll see these groups take place, but yet they were heavily persecuted, and a lot of them were, stopped, were completely eliminated. And so, but yet God always has his faithful church, his faithful few. So when one group was eliminated, there's another group somewhere. Okay. And so, uh, and then the next group you may have heard of is called the Albigenses. Okay. They, a thousand AD, they were in France, Italy, and they were the successors of the Paulician or Paulicans. They were also called the Cathari, which is, uh, I believe that's Latin for Puritans, because they followed what the book said. Okay, um, they used the Bible as their only guide for spiritual matters, and they only baptized saved people. Sounds like our kind of group, doesn't it? Okay. Then you have a group called the Petrobusians. They were there on the southern side of France. Uh, the, the leader of them was called Peter de Bruges, was his name. He was a prominent preacher who led a group for about 20 years until he was burned at the stake. Being a preacher in, the, in, in past history has not been a real good profession. Uh, you didn't end real well with a lot of them. And so uh, then you have a guy named Henry of, of Louisiana, which in around 1135, he led a group of Bible believers in Switzerland. Now this guy's kind of different because uh, he had also left the Catholic Church and... Uh, he kind of had a military approach, kind of like uh, Zwingli. Zwingli? Yeah. Anybody in here study church history at all? There was a guy, Zwingli, and that he, he thought he's going to defeat the Catholic Church and started his own army up, and it didn't end well with him either. Uh, but the Catholic Church was actually scared of this guy, this, this Henry of Louisiana. And in fact, I think there was two popes that were scared to death of him because he had such a good following. But yet, they turned it around in about 10 years and they put him, like I said, to death. They killed him. And then there's a group called the Arnalist. And they're around 1137. They taught that there was a separation of the church and state. Because at that time, the Catholics had put them both together. And this group was really adamant about it. And he, like the other guy, was, uh, I think the popes were kind of afraid of this guy. And uh, there's only one thing they're kind of afraid of, if you follow the Bible, it seems like. And if you've got a big enough group behind you, which these guys did for a while. 1160, there's a guy named Peter Waldo. I think he founded Waldo down here. No, he didn't. Uh, he's in Lyons, France. And so he was a wealthy man. And he, had, he, was, he was a merchant, basically. And he hired a priest to translate the four Gospels and part of the New Testament from Latin into French. And after reading them, he was so shocked because of the Bible teaching he was getting that it was so different that he began 
exposing the Catholic Church, and he began teaching what the Bible said. He, 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 he distributed his wealth to the poor, and he went about teaching the Word of God. Um, so the Catholic Church wouldn't have none of that, so they chased him out of, of Lyons, France. He went to another city in France called uh, Daphne, let many to Christ there. He was chased out of Daphne, he went to Picardy, and then he ended up in Germany. Then he ended up in Bohemia. But as a result of his preaching, other disciples went out from him throughout Bulgaria, Croatia, Dalmatia, and Hungary. And in 1315, there were no less than 80,000 Christians as a result of this guy originally preaching. So, you'd, you'd get a, a, a pastor, you'd get a man, he'd, he'd see what the Bible said, he started teaching it, there'd be a following, and they would run for a while, and, you know, basically a, a, a New Testament church, and a lot of times they, had, they were like Paul, they were ran out, even into different countries, or persecuted or killed. So, Bible-believing groups began, began to scatter. In 1210 to 1300, the Waldensians that were found in Paris were banished or burned, in the 1300s to 1457, the, the, you found Waldensians in Germany, Bohemia. So they're all over the place. Okay. And if you couldn't beat them, you killed them, right? That, that's the mo- that was the motto. So in 1315, we have a guy that comes along, and his name is Walter Lollard. And he was a Waldensian. He, he learned his, his doctrine in France, but he was in, also uh, uh, in England. Have you heard of the Lollards that went around preaching? And a few years after this, they got their name from this guy. And so we see the Bible, Christianity, the Gospel, New Testament churches spread into England. Well, this guy was burned in about 1320. And so we're all, now we're up to about 1470, and a guy by the name of John Huss comes on the scene. And he begins to preach the message like the Baptist and their doctrine, and he embraced the, the Baptist views, but he was burned at the stake in 1415. So again, like I said, you, if you oppose the certain church, uh, they would come after you. All right? So let me read just a little bit about uh, a guy, a, a Dutch because you mentioned your yeah, Dutch heritage. There are, you realize there are a lot of Dutch Baptists back in history? I, I hope you guys didn't come over from the Catholic Church and I'm offending you, but, but, but we have an enemy. The Catholic Church, Satan has used the Catholic Church to destroy and murder and kill Baptists, Bible-believing Christians, all the way back. And so um, we've now found Baptists existing continually for about 1,500 years under different names. They've been known by the name of the Montanists, Donatists, Novatians, Paterans, Puritans, Catharii, Politians, Petrobrusians, Arnolists, Henricans, Bulgarians, Lollards, Montenses, Aborigines, Anabaptists. Uh, most of them were subsequently called Waldenses, and we have seen the Waldenses uh, mixed with all these people. So it, it's just... It's basically Bible Christianity called by different names. And so this is what they held to. First, they held to, this was the doctrine that this group had versus the Catholic Church. Okay? 
And, and then let me tell you, there is no Methodist. There is no Presbyterians. There is, there, there's only two groups. You're either in a Bible-believing church or you're in a Catholic church. That's it. Up until 1500, there's nothing else. Because the rest of the, the, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, all those groups, they protested and came out of the Catholic church. I was talking to a, a, a man that was Catholic, and he kept telling me, you know, I've studied this out, I've done this out, I've studied this out. And he goes, but, you know, you Baptists, and he kept, call, he kept saying, you know, you, uh, pro, being a Protestant, I go, wait a minute, buddy. <laughs> Number one, that's kind of offensive because I'm not a Protestant. And it got him, and he kind of, what do you mean? I said, you can follow Bible-believing Christianity, which, which Baptists are, all the way back to the Church of Antioch. We never protested the Catholic Church unless we started the beginning and protested them all the way down. We did not come out of the Catholic Church. Catholics teach their people the only true church that there is is their church and they are the true church and the people that believe the Bible are the heretics. That's why they wanted to kill us all the way down. Okay, So, Here's what the Bible-believing, all these groups have believed down through history. Number one, the doctrine of salvation by grace. Okay. Two, the independence of churches and a democratic form of church government. The equality of membership in the churches. That the elders and bishops were subject to the discipline of the local churches that believers only should be baptized, that baptism is only by immersion, and that uh, people should be re-baptized if they had been baptized by any other means. So that's, that's just part of them. And again, in our book here, and we'll talk about some of them in, in future sessions, what we believe down through history. And you just put all those marks together I don't care what name you're called. If you believe that, you are a Bible-believing New Testament church. And you can trace your roots all the way back. Okay? And so, let me see what I... Um, let me read what this guy says. This one church historian says, The true origin of that sect which acquired the denomination of the Anabaptist by their administering the, anew the rite of baptism to those who came over to their communion is hidden in the depths of antiquity and of the consequence extreme difficult to be ascertained. It's hard to find our roots because when the Catholics would, would run people out of the country or out of the city or kill them or whatever, they burned all their Bibles, they burned all their books, they burned everything they had confiscated it. That's why you can't find a lot of, you know, this line. You, you can only kind of follow the trail, okay? And so, uh, I'm just about done, guys. It says, uh, I copied this out, so I'm trying to make sense of it as I go through, so I should just read it. This one church historian could go back through the many centuries of the past and find these people called by one name in one particular locality, or perhaps after some man who was a distinguished leader among them, and in another locality they would be called by another name. But in attempting to find their origin, he finds a people holding to identically the same principles that have existed for hundreds of years before this. 
all the way back to the very days of the apostles. And he says, hence their origin is hidden in the depths of antiquity and of the consequence extremely difficult to ascertain. So that's kind of the, the history of the Baptist from, from the church of Antioch up into about 1500 real quick. And like I said, I kind of butchered it and went through that. And we're continue on. Um, we're going to continue on uh, how it's getting into to England. And remember when Paul was in Rome, when, when they brought him to Rome, there was people that he met in Caesar's household that, that came to the faith. There were people in Rome that scattered out of that, just like Antioch, and went to all over, even as far as England and Wales. And we're going to find a little bit more history of that. Uh, and yet, we would see Baptists, we'd see Bible-believing people all the way through Europe into, into the Netherlands, into England, into, and bounce back and forth and running from persecution to persecution, depending on the government status. And that was one reason why they came to America, because they were having they they were being persecuted by the people there. So uh, our history is really neat. But if you just follow what you may not be able to follow every particular group back, but when you follow the groups back and what they believe, then you've got your bloodline that goes back. So we can follow not only the and there's two things, and I'll I'll stop my rambling today. There are two things that will that we can follow our history back with. The beliefs of the churches with these marks, these that we've kind of went through today, and then the Bible. You follow those two together and you will that'll show us our ancestry and it'll show us our bloodline all the way back. So hopefully I haven't bored everybody to tears today. We're up to about 1,500, and now it's going to start getting good. So we're going to get more people that we probably recognize. And, and, but it's interesting because if you don't know where you're from, where are you going? you know? you got to know where you're from, what you believe on. And, and as I told Carrie today, I said, we, 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 left, we drove by this Catholic church. It's a monster church not too far from our house. And, and, and it's not like I want to pick on these people because these people are lost. Now, there may be some that are saved. I don't want to say they're all lost. But if you're going to church to do Mass because you think that's saving you, you're getting your kids sprinkled because you think that's saving them, they're in a false church. And so the people, it's not that we don't want to love the people. The the church itself is, is evil. But there's people in it that have no idea what they're doing. They go there just because their family did. Yeah, they go to church, makes them feel good. I went to church today. And, I, and then, so then, so how many of you think about that? Catholics are just doing what tradition is. Their family did that, they did that. Okay, let me ask you a question to make this personal. Are you coming to church here today because maybe your parents went to church? Are you coming to church because it's the end thing to do? Or, or the, the, the Bible, our preacher is so great. If you are, you're getting ripped, okay? You're, <laughs> you're getting ripped. There, you have to know why you're coming to church. If you're just coming to church because my grandma said I should go to church and I'm just honoring what she told me. I mean, that's a good thing, but it's not what it should be. We need to know why we're meeting. We need to know the purpose behind it, not just blind following the blind, okay? And that's what most other churches, a lot of people do. They go to church because that's a thing to do. 
Okay? You need to know why. And that's what I hope we all have the right purpose. So let's pray and we'll get out here. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for our Baptist history. And Lord, I pray that we would all be faithful to your word, know why we do what we do, and know that we are doing it because you have uh, declared that unto us, how we are to live and how we are to spread the gospel. So Lord, I, I, I pray for our group here. I pray for our church that we would just continue to stay on track, getting the gospel out, teaching our people, and showing them how they can know you as Lord and Savior. So I pray for that. pray for the main service, and I pray you give us a great week this week. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I was telling uh, Randy yesterday, let me turn this off.